God, we, we come to you this morning in hope and faith and expectation that you will continue to work as you have so mightily in this group of churches in the United States and then the missions agencies around the world, these 1,500 churches that are gathered together this morning and, and worshiping you and proclaiming the gospel. We ask for your spirit to be very much alive and in our midst, that you would continue to keep us focused on what's most important. Um, Lord, it's great to see over this last week, I was able to see just a sense of renewal in the, in the denomination uh, around our call to really uh, just follow Jesus and make disciples and proclaim the gospel. And it's so refreshing to see us not veering away from that, but to stay close to that. So help us to continue to do that in the coming season. We pray for the church plants, 70 church plants that are in the works uh, throughout our nation right now as we sit here. And we ask that your hand would be upon them to help them get a good, strong start, just as you did with us um, many years ago, to, to, to be able to establish ourselves here in this uh, somewhat challenging place. Lord, we pray for um, the overarching vision for our denomination. We pray for the new leadership that's going to be needed as many of the baby boomer type pastors are retiring and there's a whole swath of churches that are going to need new leaders. We ask that you would raise up pastors there. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would um, enable us to become more effective in the urban areas uh, of our country, especially as more and more people are moving there. Thank you for this congregation and the influence that we're having on the other parts of the denomination with respect to that. Um, done so well in the rural and the suburban areas, but we need to continue to learn how to do ministry and, and be the church in the urban areas, so help us to do that. And I just want to thank you too, Lord, for how you have blessed this congregation through this partnership with these other churches. And maybe many of us haven't experienced that firsthand, but I've seen it and experienced it, whether it be from initial start and financial help and then just coaching and encouragement, vision help, all of that has been through this denomination. And we want to give you the glory for that and ask that you would continue to lead us down that path. Um, and now, Lord, as we turn to the words in Scripture, we ask you to open our hearts and minds to your words, Lord. Um, let my words be, uh, the words in my mouth, uh, be really in line with what you uh, would want us to be thinking about. Weed out anything that's not right. Um, we pray for our meditation, the meditations of our hearts, that, that uh, they would be uh, in line with your heart and that you would be leading us and, and guiding us, help us to leave this place a little bit more like Jesus than when we came in. We pray all that in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. So Vision Sunday is, is next Sunday, and I always reserve the Sunday before Vision Sunday to do something. I never know what, but something that would prepare, prepare us for Vision Sunday. And this week, I thought that what would be uh, important for us is to think about uh, a particular aspect of what it means to follow Christ that is often forgotten or often lost when we start talking about doing great things for God. When we start talking about stepping out in faith to, to answer the call to do ministry in the world, sometimes we let go of some important aspects. And so uh, what it really is is about being overdoing. This idea of the who we are, our identity in Christ, is so much more significant and important than what we do. And anything that we do for the Lord has to come out of who we are in Christ. Uh, so we're going to, if you just go into the next slide... Um, when we talk about our church, we talk about the four different activities. We call these the core four. We're a worshiping church. That's our ministry to God. We're a serving church. That's our ministry to the body, the local church body. 
We're a, a, a discipling church. That's our ministry to the individual believer. And then we're a, a witnessing or a missional church. That's our ministry to the world. And we want to have a balance of all four of these. And when we talk about vision and vision casting next week and where we sense God calling us, a lot of that has to do with the horizontal axis there, our ministry to the world and our ministry to one another. So today what I wanted to do is focus more on the vertical axis and remind us how important it is that anything that we do on that horizontal axis come out of who we are becoming in the Lord as we are a people of worship and who, a people who are growing in our identity in Christ. And in particular, I want to talk about a kind of a, an impulse, a, a habit that we can develop to make sure that we're always going back to the Lord and, and seeking direction and guidance out of a relationship with God. Now, this applies across the board, right? It's not just for our church and what we do as a church. This is all about our lives and how we parent or how we work or how we conduct our hobbies or whatever it is that we do. All of it is to come out of who we are and our identity in the Lord. So that's what we're looking at, uh, working towards this morning. And to help us in this process, I've picked a story from the life of David where you see David really securing his, his sense of identity in the Lord before he takes action in a very difficult circumstance. So if you'd open to 1 Samuel 21, we'll get started looking at the, the story that I want to talk about. 1 Samuel 21. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand and we'll pass one out to you. I would love for you to be able to follow along in the Scripture. In the particular Bible that we hand out, it's on page 210. And as we often say... If you need to take a Bible with you, you can go ahead and take this one. We want you to have it. We want you to have accessibility to it, not just on Sunday, but uh, throughout the week so that you can continue to learn and grow. And this morning, basically, we're going to end up asking you three questions about how you're living that will hopefully help you to become a little bit more grounded and rooted in God's presence in your life. Now, a little background before I look in chapter 21 here of, of 1 Samuel. Saul is king. He's the first king of Israel, but he has rejected the word of God, and so God has rejected him as king, but that has not completely unfolded yet. God has identified David to be the next king, but David hasn't come to the throne. And in what happens just before the chapter that we're going to be reading in, it becomes clear that Saul is going to attempt to do in David, to get rid of David, who's the one who's supposed to take over the throne. Um, Saul communicates that through his son in no uncertain terms, uh, predicting that he will be violent against David. And so David, who is expecting to come to the throne, is now caught in this difficult position. The current king is out to take his life. And what does he do? We pick up the story right there where David flees, and let's see where he goes. Chapter 21, verse 1. After all this went down, it says that David came to Nob. Now, you don't know where Nob is probably, but that's where the priests lived. It's where the tabernacle was. And so one of the things that we see right off the bat, and one of the questions that we're going to be thinking about is simply, where do you go when life gets complex? And when difficulties come, where do you go? David runs to the tabernacle, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? 
And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you. David's in a very difficult place here. He can't say, Well, the king's trying to kill me. That would be blasphemous against the king. So, And with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. Well, the priest and David have an exchange about the bread that's available. The only bread that's available is the holy bread, which is intended to sit in front of the tabernacle and to be used by nobody. It's an offering to God, except when it's, when it's old, then the priests themselves can eat of it. Well, the priest stretches that a little bit, and he, and he says, well, as long as you guys have been keeping yourself from uh, anything sinful, then you can have this bread. And, and David says, yes, yes, we have. And so in verse 6, if you skip down to there, so the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. And then David asks if uh, Ahimelech has any sword or spear that he could use and Ahimelech says, well, the only thing I have around is the sword of Goliath. And if you think of the story of David, this is one of those instances where you go, man, every adventure story has to have come from the life of David because uh, just the, it's, it's so cool what happens is, is he pulls out the sword that, that, that David used to slay Goliath after he had already hit him with a stone. And he gives that to him. Now, now how would David have felt about that? This, how confidence building would that have been for David to receive that sword? Here's, here's, here's a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past. As David is in this difficulty, he finds empowerment through God's provision in the tabernacle for the future. And then verse 10, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, you, you probably don't know who Achish is either. I, I, I don't know these things right off the bat. We have to research these. And it turns out Achish is one of the kings of the Philistines, the mortal enem enemies of Israel. And so David, who's being chased by the, the king of Israel, flees to his, his, the enemy to see if maybe there'd be a place for him there, shelter for him there. Verse 11, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is ten thousands. In other words, David's a, a greater warrior even than Saul, and, and here he's coming to us. What's going on? Verse 12, And David took these words to heart, and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, because they recognized him, and he figured that he was no longer safe. Verse 13, so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate, just scraping the door, and let his spittle run down his beard. Uh, then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? And I love this. There's great humor in the Old Testament if you see it. Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? You picture poor Akish. He's trying to lead this military band, this ragtag military band of crazies, right? And he's, he's, he's pulling his hair out. His hands are full. And here comes another crazy guy. And he says, get rid of him, right? It's work. David David's protects himself. God protects David. So... The question, though, hanging over this whole story is, David, where do you go when somebody's out to kill you? When your dream just seems like it's been derailed completely. 
And David goes to the temple, goes to the tabernacle. And there, what does he get? He gets a touch from God, the bread of the presence. And he gets empowerment from God, the sword of Goliath. It brings up a question that's important for us all. It's a question that one of the commentators on that text writes about. He asks this question, where do you go when life gets difficult? Where do you go when life gets difficult? David goes to Nob. He goes to God. He goes to the temple. And and I'm convinced that this is one of the greatest life skills that we can learn. When life gets hard, when it gets challenging, to have that impulse, that habitual response, to go to Nob, as it were, to go to the tabernacle and seek the face of God, to seek the presence of God and the empowerment of God. I was talking about this question in the office this week, and I just asked everybody who was in the room, so where do we typically go if we don't go to the tabernacle? As humans, where, where do we tend to go if we don't go to the tabernacle when we're in the midst of difficulty or when life gets really complex? And so we wrestled through, and I made a big long list as everybody was was speaking, and then I, I kind of uh, organized it a little bit. And, and, and let me just throw out, and let me just ask you, do you go to these places sometimes when things get complex, when life gets difficult? One of the things that we tend to do is practice avoidance, right, of the difficulty and the challenge that we're facing. And there's lots of ways we can do that. We can shut down completely. Some of us just shut down when life gets complex. Or we disengage or we isolate. We go off on our own and we try to just remove all uh, people from our lives. So one of the ways is to practice avoidance. Do you practice avoidance when life gets complex? Another way we can practice avoidance is by distracting ourselves from the issue at hand. There's lots of ways we can do that. There are all kinds of substances we can use. We can use drugs, we can use food, we can use all different kinds of things to try and distract us from what we're facing. We can also use the media, and some of the media that we go to is benign. You know, it doesn't, it's, it's really neither good nor bad, but we're using it to distract. And some of it is, is actually harmful. We might find ourselves pursuing pornography or, or some other way to distract ourselves because we're so overwhelmed by the challenge that's in front of us that we need something powerful to take us into a new world. And some of these very unhealthy types of media can do that. Some of us pursue more increased activity, right? Activity is in the midst of busyness. Um, we find that we're distracted from life's real problems, and, and that works just great. Um, we fill the calendar so there's no space to stop and breathe and think about what's actually going on to face life. Some of us, I know a lot of people who pursue exercise, right, as a way to distract. Just, I'll get more and more fit. I'll just get, I'll ride my bike more, whatever it is. Um, some of us, you're laughing, that's me, right? Um, some of us plunge into unhealthy relationships uh, when, when, when we find life getting complex and, and difficult. And, and they, we find distraction in that. So there's all kinds of ways we can practice avoidance by shutting down or distracting. But some of us then do another thing, and that is that when, when life gets difficult or complex, we try to face it in our own strength. We try to face it in our own strength. And, and, and a couple of things can happen there. If we can't meet the challenge in our own strength, then we're in trouble. What happens is we get overwhelmed, and then all too often um, it starts this downward spiral and this cycle of, of self-loathing that leads to self-destruction 
And, and, and one time when I was uh, just starting off in youth ministry, I got called into a youth meeting, and there in front of me were about 10 kids, and they'd all been cutting, right? Playing with knives and cutting themselves, and you maybe have heard of this, and it's something that, that, uh, that people do. It's self-destructive, obviously, when life becomes overwhelming. And these kids, life had become overwhelming, and they weren't able to, to meet the challenges in their own strength. And so they were re- resorting to self-destruction to try and deal with it. And then this is kind of a hard one. I had to grapple with this a little bit this week, but, but sometimes we are capable enough in some sort of superficial way, at least, to meet the challenges of life in our own strength. And we live in a place that's filled with all kinds of competent people, intelligent people, successful people. And what you see over and over again is that with such people, they have oftentimes been able to meet the challenges of life in their own strength. And what do we do with that? Because not every challenge drives us uh, away, dri- makes us understand that we can't do it. Sometimes we get the impression that we can. So I was thinking about this, and, and, and I know so many people who are in this category. And what I think happens oftentimes is when we meet challenges in our own strength, we may overcome the difficulties and the complexities and the problems, and our life looks good on the outside, and we're spending lots of energy and effort to meet the challenges. But what's actually happening is our life is veering away from the pathway that God would have us on because we're not operating, we're not living out of His strength, we're living out of our own strength. So let me give you an example of what that would have looked like for David. In that moment when Saul decided that he was going to kill David, David could have retaliated against Saul. And there are a couple of opportunities where David could have done that afterwards. He had the chance to kill Saul, and he chose not to. He chose not to use the strength that he could have, his own strength, to solve the problem and the complexity that was before him. He chose to wait and to rely on God. This is a very subtle shift, but what ends up happening, if David would have killed Saul, he'd have been living his own sort of plan for the future, and maybe he would have become king, but it wouldn't have been God's enthronement. Right? And so... So, so there's a very subtle shift that goes in when we meet problems in our own strength. What David does, he's the model for us. He comes into the, the presence of God. That's the first thing he does. He runs to the tabernacle to be in the presence of God. And in there, he, he tastes of the goodness of God, and he, and he bonds to, to the leadership that God wants to hold over his life. And if you're like me at all, sometimes you just wish that you could get inside of David's head and understand how he makes these decisions that he makes. And in this case, with this story, I, I feel like I wish I could get inside of David's head. And then I'm reading through the Psalms, and guess what? You get to Psalm 34, and it says that David wrote this about this very incident that we've been looking at. So turn with me to Psalm 44, and we have this incredible opportunity to get into the head of David. How is it that he concludes that the right thing to do in the midst of complexity is to pursue the Lord in the tabernacle. Psalm 34. If you're using the Bible that we have, it's on page 397. And in Psalm 34, we get this sort of inner window into the thoughts of David in the midst of this complex situation he's facing. It says of David, this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior. That's when he acted like a crazy man before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Here's what David writes about it, about what was going on inside. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord. Remember, when he heard that Saul wanted to kill him, he went to the tabernacle, to Nob. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. David was a very strong man. He was well-respected. They, they sung songs about how he'd killed his ten thousands. But he didn't view himself in that light. He viewed himself as a man of poverty who needed God. And it was that self-perception that propelled him to the tabernacle. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What did he do in the tabernacle? He ate the bread of the presence. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now keep your finger on these verses, and I just want to review what's going on here. When David goes into the tabernacle, he encounters the greatness of God. He tastes it. Verse 8, the bread of, reflecting back on the bread of the presence. He comes out radiant and unashamed, it says in, in verse 5, like, like reminds us of Moses who, who, who met with God in the holy temple, in the, in the tent, the holy tent, and he would come out and his face would be radiant because he'd met with God. He'd been touched by God. So he comes out and his face is radiant. His soul is filled in, in verse 2. We see that. And in verse 7, he's confident of his deliverance. Can you imagine? I mean, how many of you have been running from a king who's trying to kill you. I mean, that's pretty significant in terms of life problems, right? That's where David is, and yet he's confident of his deliverance. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And why is he confident? Because he's met with God. He's met with God in the tabernacle and out of that. So, you know, uh, he doesn't wait either. This is the amazing thing. He doesn't wait to go to the tabernacle until God answers all his, his needs. He goes in poverty, in need, and finds the answer there in the tabernacle. Sometimes I feel like we sort of say, well, I don't really have any reason to go to church because I don't really have a reason to praise God. No, go to church and praise God, and out of that you will, you will see what you need to see about your life and about what's, where you're headed. Um, so we've got to get the cart right in, in the right place. Um, can't get it before the horse there. David goes and worships first, and then out of that is the touch from God, and he discovers God's goodness while he's there. You'll never regret seeking the Lord in the midst of challenge or difficulty or, tr- or complexity. You'll never regret stopping and going to meet with God, to seek that bread of his presence. You'll never regret, but you might regret not going. Right? All right, so... How do you do that? Some of you are wondering, well, what does that actually look like in real terms? And, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But in Acts 2, we're told what the early church did when they were seeking God, devoting themselves to the God, to God. Excuse me. Um, they, they worshipped. That was one way. So when we gather together and we worship, that's how we put ourselves 
in that sort of the crosshairs of God's presence, when, we, when they devote themselves to the, script, to the teaching of the apostles, which we have as the Scripture. And so when we want to seek God, if you want to taste God, if you want to pursue Him, open your Scripture and read and study and devote yourself to the Lord. And what else did they do? They gathered together as the body to, to help one another. And this, this journey of seeking the Lord can't be done alone. We need the help of one another. We need the insight of one another. And so when we gather together in our home groups in our, in our, and, we, and we help each other seek God, um, we, are, we are taking advantage of one of the, 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 the elements that God has given us to pursue Him. This is not just some activity we're doing. This is placing ourselves in his, in his crosshairs so that he can speak into our lives. And then lastly, they, they devoted themselves to prayer. So worship and scripture and fellowship and prayer, those are the ways that we in this day can put ourselves into that place where we're ready to, to be present with God and to, to sense the bread of his presence in our lives, the nourishing bread of his presence in our lives. Now, I kind of want to just tell us, look, as a people, what we need to do is just go after that presence in all manner of ways to figure out how it is that, that we can, can draw from the presence of God. And so uh, this last week, uh, so I'll tell you a story. Uh, this last week, I was uh, finishing a day that was busy. I think it's seven, eight meetings uh, in a day, which is a lot for me. And I got home, and I'd already been working and missed a day off and was feeling uh, a little bit overwhelmed and tired and it was late at night, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go get on my bike in the garage on the trainer and ride for a while because that'll clear my head. So I got on there, and I put in my phone, put in my headphones, and um, it's no secret, I love to listen to Fred Hammond, gospel singer. Uh, and so I hadn't listened to him for a while. I was going to listen to him jazz, and I thought, well, let's just put on Fred Hammond. And the first song comes on, and I find myself being drawn into worship. And so I'm pedaling away, sweating away in the garage, and this is more than you wanted to know, I'm sure. Uh, and and I, I'm pedaling away, and, and I start singing. I start getting more into worship, and I'm, I'm, I'm tasting the, the, the bread of God's presence there on my bike in the garage. And so I start singing, and louder, and the bike is really loud when it's on a trainer, so I got to sing louder and turn up the music louder, and I'm singing. And an hour later, I'm finished the whole album, singing through the whole thing. I'm feeling like a million bucks. Uh, I get off my bike, and I come upstairs, and, and, and there's my 17-year-old up there, and he just has two comments to say. The first one is, Dad, that was really loud. <laughs> and the second one is, I sure hope nobody was walking by the front of the house tonight. <laughs> and then, to his credit, he just sort of left it at that, you know. Um, could have been a lot harsher. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, David dancing in front of the at least I wasn't naked, right? Um, <laughs> Although I was wearing my cycling kit, which for some of you is worse than nakedness, I'm sure. Um, so anyway, it was, it, was, it was there. There's a raw and, 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 and this week sort of example of what it means to seek God, right, in the midst of our difficulty and our complex life. And, and the other thing that I've been doing recently that I found really helpful, somebody a long time ago taught me about the, this alphabet prayer where if you're, if you're alone or you have something to do and you've got time to kill, pray through the alphabet. And so I've been, I was in airports and stuff this week, so you always end up you know, walking around waiting, having time. So I'm praying through the alphabet. And, and one of the ways to do it is to think about an attribute of God for every 
every part of the alphabet. So A. Throw, throw out an attribute of God that starts with A. Awesome. Okay, so you, you pray around the word awesome, and, and you start to think about how does God's awesomeness affect my life, and how does it shape who I am and, and what I'm doing, right? And then you go through every letter. Now, there's some letters that are pretty difficult to, to capture, um, but I'll let you wrestle with that on your own. You can figure out the solution. Um, and, and so you pray through the alphabet, and, and it's a way of, again, putting yourself in that place where you're seeking the presence of God in your life, right? You're not just running off on your own. And, and I'm convinced that this has, one of the greatest things that we can learn is to let this become our impulse when life gets complex or difficult, is to run to knob, all right? It's a funny word, but you'll remember it. Run to knob and seek the tabernacle, seek the presence of God. Do whatever you have to do, okay? I've shared with you some of my goofy illustrations so that you can now be freed up to be as crazy and wacky in in pursuing God's presence as you need to be. All right. So the first thing, the second question I want to ask you then is, are you regularly tasting of his goodness? Are you regularly tasting of his goodness? So where do you go when life gets difficult? And are you regularly tasting the goodness of God? And then the last question is this. Are you bonding to his leadership? Are you bonding to his leadership? Verse 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, what man is there who desires life and loves many days, and that he may see good. In other words, rhetorical question. We all want to live a meaningful, long life, a good life that we want to see good. Then he says, here's, here's what you do. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, there are so many verses that we could highlight and memorize in this part of the psalm. One of the words that I want to just say something about here briefly is this word righteous, which happens over and over again. Now, we, we can't make ourselves righteous. We encounter righteousness when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He does it. We can't do it. That's what we understand, flipping through the pages after this and understanding how Jesus fits into all of this context. But in Jesus Christ, we are the righteous. And so these verses apply to us. They help us to live. And I find it so interesting that, that David calls us to pursue righteousness as a way of essentially drawing near to the Lord and bonding with God. And it makes a lot of sense, right? If God commands us to live in a certain way and wants us to live with Him and to do life with Him, then the more that we absorb that way and embody it, the more we'll be walking with the Lord and living out His plan for our lives. You see how we bond to His leadership when we, do, when we live righteously. Righteousness is not merely about checking off a list of do's and don'ts. That's how we often think about it. It's something much more rich and wonderful. It's about doing life with God His way so that what we do in this life ends up being meaningful and lasting into eternity. That's what righteousness is. 
it's exciting. It's, it's, it's not about anxiety and stress. I mean, the, the times when we live unrighteously, Christ has already covered that. But now we have the opportunity to grow into that righteousness and to live meaningful lives as we obey God. That's what obedience is. It's just saying, yeah, you can be my leader. I'll follow you. I'll do what you say. I'll live the way that you say. That's all it is. That's what pursuing righteousness is, is letting God define how we live. And when we do that, then we're letting him lead us. We're bonding to his leadership. And David is so, such a wonderful example of this. He so easily could have pursued Saul in his own strength and killed the man and then taken the throne, but he didn't do it. He waited for God, and he lived this life of obedience, even when it was difficult. And David points then, of course, to another man who lived that life, Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus said in John? said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing out of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does. We would not have had the cross and the forgiveness that is ours without the obedience of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the cross enabled, is that Jesus is willing to follow his leader, the Father, and, 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 and do what the Father had asked him to do. Now, we don't have to, we don't have to earn our relationship with, with the Father anymore because of Jesus, and when we, we, we disobey then um, you know, we're forgiven for that. We have that grace over our lives. And yet, at the same time, living in obedience has an incredible impact on our lives because it makes our lives more connected to God's redemptive plan and gives us that, 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 that opportunity of, of living meaningful lives. So just like the cross hinged on obedience, some of the, the eternal lasting fruit of our lives hinges on our obedience of God as we live in His strength, as He helps us to do so. It's no secret that I love to ride my bike. And, and by the way, I've been keeping track. I haven't talked about biking for weeks, so um, I'm okay here for one day. And then it'll be weeks again before I do it. But, you know, I've determined, I, I, for me, with the rhythm of my life, biking, you know, 80, 120 miles, something like that a week is enough hours I can do, devote to it, not too many uh, but I have to say, uh, most of the people I bike with bike two and three times more than that. 300 miles a week plus, right? Spend all this time. And I, often we're sitting here in a group, we're biking along, I'm thinking, man, if we could just harness this crazy energy, we could power a small city. I mean, it's amazing the effort and the energy that goes into this. And sometimes I think I'm, I, you probably think I'm crazy too, just for how much, sir, how much I do. Um, but, you know, I've, I've determined, I've prayed about it. I, I feel it fits in my life. Um, but, but, but sometimes when, we, when, we're, when we're going about our daily lives and the activity and the intensity of it all, we're kind of like on that, that treadmill. And what's it for? You know? What's it for? It's just all this energy and effort and, and life living. And it all just sort of evaporates because it's not harnessed through obedience for the kingdom. And David is calling us to harness the 80 or so years that we're given on this earth 
for the purposes of the kingdom. And when we obey, that's what happens. And even more importantly, when we enter into that tabernacle and receive the touch from God, we receive the, 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 the joy that comes from the presence of God in our lives and the empowerment that comes from Him giving us that sword or whatever it is that we need to accomplish the task He's called us to. That's what we desperately need. And so as we go forward and talk about vision and doing this and doing that, or as you think about your life and you think about, I'm going to do this and go here and do that and accomplish this, this, never forget that your being is more important than your doing. Your relationship with the Lord and your character in Christ is more significant, and that's what David is teaching us, and that's what he models when he faces difficulty. And how natural it is for us to then make the transition to this table where there's bread, right? It reminds us of the bread of, of God's presence because that presence, of course, became most fully manifest in the person of Jesus Christ here living on earth. And now when He sends His Holy Spirit and we have the Spirit in us because of Christ, we can understand and, and accept and have the presence of God in our lives. And the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, took bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And you are invited to this table. It's symbolic of that pursuit of the presence of God. One day we will have it in heaven, sitting at table with God. But now we can pursue it, and we can, we can know the presence of God in the way that, that David did. And so as you come forward, I want you to, to, to just consider praying that prayer. Lord, would you make yourself known to me? Help me to taste your goodness in this week. And help me to, to be empowered by you. If you're here this morning and you're just sort of seeking the Christian things, you don't know who this Jesus is and you don't have it all figured out, then this table probably doesn't mean anything for you. So take this time to meditate and pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you during this next season. And continue to be a part of the community of faith because that's where you're going to experience the presence of God. If you need prayer, we'll have people in that back corner over there. And uh, you can also find people in your home group and pray with one another in that way if you'd like. Lord Jesus, meet us in this time. Guide us and lead us and transform us. Thank you, Spirit, for being with us. Thank you for your presence in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.